Marini's Media. Hand-wringing at Charlton, hand-washing everywhere else. Forest owner got corona, let's hope it doesn't put the kibosh on the rest of the season. Elsewhere, there's more financial woes for Southend and Macclesfield, but it's not all bad news as we hear from Wigan goal-getter Kiefer Moore on his incredible football journey. Always played behind closed doors, it's a soundproofing thing. This is the Totally Football League Show. Hello again, listener, and welcome to our EFL Haven. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, and with me today in the studio are two pundits of the very highest calibre available on a Wednesday morning. First up, if you listen to Monday's Totally Football show, you'll have heard me talking about James Milner's loan spell at Swindon back in the day. Turns out one of our panellists played with him down at the county ground. In fact, let's take a trip down memory lane. It's September the 27th, 2003. Swindon have just beaten Peterborough 2-0 at the county ground. Milner iced the cake in stoppage time with the second goal after the scoring had been opened on 84 minutes by the one and only Sam Parkin. And the whip one in. It's Parkin. 84 minutes gone. And the deadlock's been broken. Sam Parkin for Swindon. Gets his eighth goal of the season with a courageous header there. Milner celebrated with a J2O that night. How about you, Sam? Capri Sun and Bongo. Is he the only England international you've ever shared a score sheet slash dressing room with? In a first team, I believe he is. But yeah, because your youth career is littered with... Uh, youth career, yeah. I remember Joe Cole coming to Chelsea for a period. Obviously, John Terry, Crouchy for District and, and Borough teams and, and the like. Colton Cole as well, I thought of as well. So, yeah, a lot. But um, James Milner, 17 years old, I think he was. He'd already scored in the Premier League at that point. And he is, as you see him now, really... The consummate professional. I think we probably tried to take him out to various watering holes in Wiltshire and he declined and I think he used to spend the majority of his time at his local cricket club. So not much has changed, I think. You said you did get him out once and he had a J2O. Was that because he wasn't of legal age to drink or just because he didn't want to? A bit of both, probably. I think he might have come to Cheltenham one year with us. Um, my, my memory's a little bit fuzzy, but no, I just remember him being a, a brilliant professional. He played so many different positions even at that age. And Andy King, our manager, had a really good friendship with Peter Reid, so that was the link, getting him. Uh, and Kingy had a knack of getting brilliant young players and Milner was clearly one of the best. Well, alongside Sam, a former New Zealand rugby union player and politician, he represented the All Blacks from 1958 to 1960 and unsuccessfully stood for the National Party in the Henderson electorate at the 1969 general election. He was also the owner of a commercial crayfish boat. Welcome aboard, Adrian Clark. Good day. Good day indeed. Uh, you'd have been awash with international teammates at Arsenal. Off the top of your head, who do you think you played with who's got the most caps? Oh, the most caps. Um, oh, good question. And he many... says Thierry Henry. That's got. To I didn't play with there, Thierry Henry. Yeah, I played against time. Thierry yeah. Henry. Um, David Platt, Burkamp, David Platt. Um, yeah, Tony Adams had had a fair few, didn't he? Um, yeah, they they all had um, stack loads, really, didn't they? Yeah, very very lucky. Uh, Joe Crilly is at Cheltenham. He'll be taking the Alan Brazil fitness test later. Uh, if he passes it, he'll join us via the telephone. Now, obviously, there's a black cloud hanging over sport and society at the moment in the form of the coronavirus. Many places on the continent are playing games behind closed doors for the foreseeable. Time of recording, that's not the case in England. The EFL's most recent statement on the matter says... The EFL continues to remain in regular dialogue with the government regarding the ongoing developments and is being appraised on a regular basis of developments that could potentially impact our clubs and competitions. Well, the impact on English football increased on Monday when Forest owner Evangelos 
Marinakis announced he's contracted coronavirus and met the team on Friday before the game against Millwall. He also met some of the Arsenal squad before their game with Olympiacos. That's caused the Gunners game with Manchester City to be postponed. Olympiacos have released a statement on Wednesday morning saying their players have all tested negative for the virus. Bruno Leite, among others, asking us on Twitter at The Totally Show, what will be the impact of playing behind closed doors for the EFL clubs? What percentage will not survive the hit on its finances? Clarky, uh, mm. Gary Neville pointing out on Twitter yesterday, as, uh, of course, a part owner of an EFL club, he's not keen on playing behind closed doors. You'd rather see the season postponed for a bit too, if possible. I, I would, yeah. Now, I'm completely with, with Gary Neville on this one. Obviously, the Euros are in doubt at the moment. I think they have to be, considering it's a, a continent-wide event. And that could potentially be postponed until 2021, I would imagine, which would leave a window open, wouldn't it, in, in late May into June, July, if we have to, I suppose, for for the season to finish. I would personally would prefer matches to be postponed now rather than play behind closed doors. It would financially cripple most clubs, I would imagine, at League One and League Two level. They rely, don't they, so heavily on on admission, you know, prices and, and, and ticket ticket money to survive. And, and as we know already, a lot of clubs are struggling even with, you know, healthy gates. So so absolutely it would have to be a last resort. I'd rather postpone than play behind closed doors and and look, what, what is football without the fans? I, I, I just hate watching football with an empty stadium. I think it's, it's, it's more important to, to wait and get the fans back in. Yes, yeah, Sam, it's one thing doing it for a Champions League game when the club's money for that comes from the competition rather than from the gate revenues. But for League One and League Two sides, it's, it's not going to work, is it? Yeah, it'd be a big problem. And um, yeah, the, the other side of it, always think of a phrase we used to say in science um, at the end of... Uh, a lesson was it a fair test teams that have had the home advantage uh, against other sides the fixture list obviously it's the same but the counter argument would be it's the same for every team but it's not considering you know that some of the fixtures will be easier and obviously with the backing of a big home support as well it makes a huge difference for the, the clubs across the level so for that reason and the ones that agents explained I think it's going to have to stop, isn't it, at some stage and maybe just push the season back if that's possible. If, if um, Obviously, postponements will in the short term really damage clubs financially as well, but at least they would have the guarantee of that game going ahead where they can generate the revenue. So, so yeah, that's, that's where I sit on this one. Anyway, to the football, which still will happen this weekend, brackets at the time of recording, close brackets. Uh, Abby, please type championship into the sat now. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Championship headlines. Addicts at it again as ownership row triggers crack badge motifs galore. On the pitch, Charlton's lost to Burr at the weekend. Sees the three promoted sides occupy the relegation spots. Forrest, meanwhile, let in a 13-minute hat-trick to put Millwall in the playoff race along with Cardiff and Derby. Abby wrote that. No such problems for Leeds, though. They're back on top after five wins and five clean sheets in a row. And Leeds are in motion for the first time with Harrison. Harrison attacks the left edge of the town box. Now he's crossed. Far post. Ailing arriving. Goal is United. A volley off the underside of the bar from Luke Ailing, who ghosted in unmarked. And Leeds have scored inside the opening few minutes. 
Speaking of players with excellent locks, everybody's favourite long-haired Welsh midfielder currently playing his trade in the Potteries, Joe Allen, is out of the Euros after suffering a cruciate ligament injury. And one more for you, Jude Bellingham took a tour of Old Trafford this week and Sir Alex is trying to make that transfer happen, clearly ignoring the advice of Uncle Adrian not to go there. So there's a massive game at the KCOM on Saturday's fourth bottom hole hosts the team immediately below them in Charlton. All the talk pre-match, though, has been of the latest ownership row slash crisis enveloping the addicts. To explain everything that's going on much better than any of us could is Richard Corley from the South London Press speaking with producer Abby. So, Richard, it's all quite confusing, really, what's going on here with Charlton. First up, can you confirm, do you know what the current status of Tanun Namir is with, with Charlton? Is he still director? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, um, Tanun Namir is still a director of Charlton Athletic. Obviously, the confusion arose from the fact that there were some Instagram posts that he put up earlier in the week in which he kind of indicated he was he was out. Um, I think by that, he meant that he was no longer going to invest in the football club all the time other individuals were still there. Um, Obviously, Charlton then kind of almost validated that he was gone by the fact that a statement went out saying that um, he'd, you know, effectively resigned and they'd accepted his resignation. But of course, um, I think a bit later after that, Mr. Namir sort of uh, issued another statement via social media, which um, is the way of the world, I think, the way these things get Yeah, welcome to 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Um, saying that he was still absolutely a director, but that the funding from his side of things had been stopped until he got control of the club and he was effectively running it with people that he wanted it there. Uh, you know, there was going to be no more money coming from him. So as far as I'm aware, this is now going to get a little bit sort of complicated. It never, ever seems to be in a, any other way with Charlton, though. So that's the situation as I understand it. Well, speaking of the investment, um, I, I understand it's been it was about fifty million to buy the club from De Chatelet, But we were trying to work out before has that money actually been paid? Uh, so does Naima really own the club? Yeah, I don't think it's black and white on all of this. I think the thing that's for sure is that if there has been any money that's been paid, it's not been very much, if at all. If you look at the situation, Roland de Châtelet still owns the training ground. He still uh, he still owns a freehold to the training ground, and he, he owns the freehold to the valley. So effectively, the the assets in the company belong to Roland de Châtelet still. Um, East Street Investments had said all along, or fairly early on, they made it clear actually we don't own the valley, we don't own the training ground but we have a legal obligation, I'll sort of say that in speech marks, that that is, has to be completed by June. Now, of course, what this uh, does, with the latest developments, is it makes you question whether that money is going to be there, whether they are going to be able to complete the deal. Um, and obviously, even with Tanun Namir, if you look at the EFL statement this week, it makes it clear that the sticking point one of the sticking points in them approving the deal was proof of funding until 2021. And because of that, the club had a restriction in terms of what they could do in the January transfer window. So when you, when you look at those facts, there's a, I would suggest a fairly big element of doubt. Is the money going to be there to push this deal through and actually take Roland de Chatelet out of the equation? Because as it stands, uh, he is still very much holding in, in control of the, the main assets, which of course is the valley and, and the training ground. And, and of course, there's an hour transfer embargo on the club as well. Yeah. Do we know whether Nima has passed the fit and proper test? It's not clear in that AFL statement, is it? 
Well, I think by what the I think by looking at the EFL statement, I think it suggests that that, that they have all passed it. You know, at the end of the day, Tanu Nima is the majority. You know, he owns a sixty five percent stake in the business that has bought out on Athletic. I don't think the EFL would have given any kind of uh, green light to any of this if there were any complications over his involvement. So I, I actually think the opposite is, is true. I think that all of the people, the, the three members of the board, uh, I think they've all passed the, the requirements. I think the sticking point has been the fact that there has been these restrictions placed on the club because there doesn't seem to have been any kind of investment or money that's been shown that they can run to 2021. I don't think you can say it's anything other than a mess at the moment. And all, of course, ahead of what is a huge game and Charlton in what is a, a very, very uh, serious position in the table as well. Well, yeah, this brings me on to on, on the pitch matters. You're f- facing Hull at the weekend. Is Can you imagine this affecting the, the team on the pitch? Because, I mean, kind of Charlton going through all of this is not exactly new to them. No, I mean, it's... Um, I think I think it's it's it, you can look at it both ways. I think you can make the argument that um, people say that players sometimes will look for excuses and that you know managers don't want to give excuses to players for not performing. But I can remember going back when um, Crystal Palace went into administration, and in that situation, I think they were on a plane up to Newcastle, if I remember correctly. And while the plane was in the air. By the time they landed, the news had broken that the club had been placed into administration. In that scenario it really did kind of give a real sort of, it united the players and they actually finished the season fine and there were no problems. And then obviously, eventually, you know, CPFC 2010 bought the club. But I think what it shows is that it can work the other way. It can be it can be to unite people. And I think the message from Lee Bowyer will probably be, you can either use this as an excuse or you can accept it and try and, you know, make a positive out of it and come together. Because the thing is, I think from their perspective now, people will be looking at this and thinking, wow, they were already one of the lowest spenders, if not the lowest spenders in the league on the existing budget they had. With all this other stuff, you'd expect them probably to drop out now. So they could actually finish the season in a really positive fashion if they can get across and, and, and achieve the sort of target of survival. Richard Corley from the South London Press there. Okay, so one of the the big concerns in situations like this, uh, and we've seen it with other clubs in the AFL this season, is about the protection of payments to players. We don't want a situation like we've had at Macclesfield and Southend in recent weeks. You, you've got a theory as to how we could make this a, a bit safer? I've got a little idea, yeah, in terms of, uh, of protecting staff salaries at football clubs. Look, at the start of every season or, or whenever a, the sale of a club goes through, why can't the new owner... Or the or the club's owner put down a bond to the EFL that equates to roughly you know, three months worth of salaries for the players for the for the staff, just for safekeeping. Now, if, if if you are wealthy enough to to run a football club and to buy a football club, that should not be a problem. When you when you lease a car, you have to put down three months, six months ahead of, ahead of time. Um, I think to have this slush fund would obviously a be a commitment from from said ownership. And B, it would just safeguard the troubled times, like we are potentially facing now with the coronavirus, with games being being called off and whatnot. And yeah, I just think that that's that, that's a possibility. And then in emergencies, you've got that you've got that sitting there where where everything can be covered. All right, let's talk about the actual game that's going on. We mentioned how how important it is. Um, we'll, we'll stick with Charlton while we're with you, Clarkie. Mm. What's your theory as to why they've struggled so much in recent weeks? Oh, um, 
Well, they're not scoring goals. They've not scored in the in the last three. That's been a big problem. I mean, this isn't something new. Okay, if you take away the first six matches of the season, where Charlton started like a train, didn't they? They've averaged 0.8 points a game. Now, you have reached that over, over the course of a full campaign. It's 37 points. You're absolutely relegated. You're probably bottom of the championship. So this, this is nothing new. Um, earlier on in the campaign, they were losing games narrowly. Suddenly, they look a little bit more ragged, I think, um, without the ball. Defensive areas have been an issue. System-wise, I think you could you could point the finger at, at Lee Bowyer in terms of constantly changing. Obviously, fans are saying a four-four-two diamond has been used too much. I think he, he's, he's chopped and changed it. But overall, in recent weeks, I'd just say the structure of the team, no matter which system they've they've had, has been a bit too open. They're, they're just leaking shots. Twenty-three shots Borough had at the Valley at the weekend in the matches before. Twenty from Huddersfield, twenty-four from Sheffield Wednesday. When things aren't going well and you're not scoring a lot of goals, the one thing you need is to be compact and to not give too many chances away to opposition teams. Charlton aren't doing that at the moment and that is why they've slid down the table. As for Hull, Sam, you're much more intelligent when it comes to football than most things uh, than I am. So me looking at it goes, OK, you lost Grzycki and Bowen and that's torpedoed your season. Is, is there anything more significant that, that you've spotted with their recent form results style of play or is it just that, that those two big hitters went? That's a big part of it. It's the stat doing the rounds at the weekend. They haven't won without Bowen since April 2017. So <laughs> Ouch. it's a huge reason. He had to that. Tom Eaves is now missing as well. For the rest of the season. The two centre-halves, Davies and Burke, who me and Adrian spoke about, I think at the back end of last season, maybe under Adkins, they're both missing as well. So it's got a very inexperienced look to it, the back four in particular, and the spine of the team. And if there's one club in the EFL at the moment that might have a change of manager, I would say it's them. I don't think it's right, probably, that they change right now, but I could conceivably see it happening. This game at the weekend <laughs> is the job. defining moment of the season. If they don't get at least a point, I don't think they can remain in the division. The, port, the form is that bad. It's the... The, the longest winless run since 1995, 11, 11 games without a win, and they're not in any of these games either. They've been smashed by Leeds, smashed by Stoke most recently. It's a very difficult time. I would suggest, and we talk about it a lot, being solid. Go to a back three, go to a 4-4-2, whatever it is. Maybe keep the two players up the pitch. I think McGuinness will play against his former club, maybe go a bit direct, but they need to be solid, so... I would suggest the structure of the team is what McCann will be working on this week, trying to nick something. <laughs> so the, both teams need to work on their structure. Yeah, if, if the coaches have their, their say, this could be the most turgid goal of straw you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and a fun week in training for the players as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst we're talking relegation battlers, Wigan Athletic make the short trip to Huddersfield on Saturday. The Latics start the weekend two points above the dotted line after going unbeaten in six. Earlier, I caught up with striker Kiefer Moore. Key for six games unbeaten now. What, what's been behind the recent upturn in form that, that you've enjoyed? I wouldn't necessarily say anything, really. It was more, more the case of, you know, getting that one win under us and then the momentum from that, you know, carrying us on from there. And it, I think it's, we've been playing well beforehand. It was just, you know, just not getting the luck of the draw and getting results. But ever since we, you know, finally got that win and 
things have started changing and I think there's been a lot more belief around the place. You made the move from Barnsley to Wigan in the summer, which, which based on your, your past career, is quite a kind of prosaic transfer that we'd see with other players. Your career path's been absolutely incredible. Non-league to the Championship and back again in the same season in one case. Do you feel like you're here to stay now in terms of being at the top of the EFL pyramid? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, um, I've had a very fruitful career, you can say. Um, I've been up and down. Um, but yeah, like I said, yeah, like I'm, I'm here to stay now. I feel like I've really cemented, you know, my kind of presence in, in a way. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm here to stay. I haven't double-checked this, but I'm fairly certain that you're the only player who's gone from Yeovil Town to Viking. You weren't in Norway for very long, but, but how, how has that kind of influenced your career, that experience of, of going abroad, and, and particularly from your non-league background, to go to, go to um, a club on the continent? It must have been a, a really, really sort of life-changing experience in a way, even if it wasn't for that long. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, um, I really enjoyed my time there. It was, it was obviously cut short because... I wasn't really getting the game time I wanted, um, but I did. I did learn a lot out there. You know, it was a different style of football, a different culture, and I took a well. I, le- I learned a lot from from that experience. And I guess, kind of, you, you've learned how to deal with highs and lows effectively, haven't you? Because as I mentioned, you know, you've kind of you've bounced around from non-league to the championship and and back again. It must give you a good perspective on on keeping things in check and you know not getting too high with the highs and too low with the lows. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's. It's all about that, you know. Just it's it's all a learning curve. Um, I believe every every failure is a is a step towards success, and I take every failure as a as a lesson. And I, I always try take something from everything and slowly improve, like year by year. We've got to talk about your international career. That's that's definitely a high point. You made your debut for Wales earlier this season. Do, do you have to pinch yourself sometimes to believe that in the space of three and a half years you've gone from, from National League with Torquay to international football uh, under Ryan Giggs and playing alongside Gareth Bale? Yeah, you know, I, at the time I, I, I didn't really think about it too much because I was obviously just all caught up in the moment. But, you know, when you, when you do look back and, and you think of, of the career progression, it's, I, I do, you know, hold that in high high esteem like I'm, I am very proud of of what I've been able to achieve and this is only just the, the start for me this is you know I'm, I'm about to get going now in in a sense yeah so it could be a big summer for you but also massive game coming up this weekend against Huddersfield not that far away from you geographically nor in the table it'd be, be huge if you could get three points uh, in this game yeah definitely yeah we've got a massive game coming up um, we know all what they're about and they're, they're a good footballing team. I believe, you know, the position they find themselves in, no one would have seen that at the start of the season. But football's a, a, a funny old game. And, you know, I believe, you know, we've definitely got enough to, to beat them and three points would be massive for our season. Finally, Keith, we always like to finish with uh, with an important question. So here it is. You used to be a lifeguard. How realistic was Baywatch? <laughs> Not very realistic. <laughs> so you're saying you were you didn't have loads of scantily clad uh, colleagues all around you, and it, and it wasn't as much about looking good as it was saving lives. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> were you swimming pool or beach? Swimming pool. Ah, uh, that's not the ideal shift, really, is it? I guess no, you want to be on no, the beach was, on a good day. I was I was sat in the chair, just just watching. Yeah, trying not to get a veruca. Yeah, pretty yeah, much, yeah. yeah. Well, well, you're enjoying life more these days, I guess. Uh, listen, you're doing fabulously. Uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season and, and for the summer as well. It could be, could be a landmark year for you. 
Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Thank you for more. Wigan striker and all-round good guy there. Uh, Friday night football takes place on the banks of the Thames where Fulham and Brentford renew local hostilities. Who out of these two, Sam, is better equipped for the Premier League if they were to go up? You got Fulham have obviously got parachute payments, but they wasted tens of millions of pounds on very average players last season, most of which are no longer there. Brentford have got this new stadium to look forward to. I'm kind of thinking maybe it's teed up a bit more for, for Brentford to, to make a smoother transition to the Premier League. Yeah, you have the experience of the Fulham squad, the players that have played there before, the know-how, but I think you get a bit of that shock factor of Brentford going up that first season, the, the boost that they would get going into the new stadium. So I think Fulham are obviously closer maybe to putting pressure on the top two but I think that's gone now realistically for for everyone I think West Brom and Leeds are the teams that are going to be promoted but Brentford needed that win against Sheffield Wednesday for a number of reasons mainly to get some of the players back in form De Silva's been miles away from the level he'd set for himself and Buemo as well Marcondes is now producing good performances so if they're going to be successful in the playoffs that could be a real pivotal game to turn their you know end of the season around so it's going to be a very tight game Brentford have lost so many narrow games away from home uh, 1-0 that would be my concern going into this one that something similar would happen again I don't think there's going to be a great deal between the two sides I almost put it down to Mitrovic against maybe Janssen returning and also which of the fullbacks are on it this weekend. If the Fulham two, probably Christie and Adoy can handle Ben Rama and Embuemo, um, they've got a good chance in this game. But I think it's going to be one way either side. You've not been that impressed with Fulham, Clarkie. Well, I wouldn't say that they've been poor. I mean, they're on a good run. The tough run of fixtures they've had, two, two home wins, two away draws. So, that, so they're doing fine. I just... Look at them, and I think they they can be better. You look at the talent they've got. I don't think Caballero has been playing very well. Knockart as well is, is really flattering to deceive. Wouldn't surprise me actually if they if both players miss miss this game. You know, Cabano can come in and add a bit of power. Uh, Camera on the other side, I think, is almost nailed on to start, given given that he's shown a bit of form of late. Yeah, I just I just I don't love. The shape of the team, particularly Harry Arter in this this deep holding role, I don't feel he's the necessarily the best man for, for that job. It'd be fascinating to see what they do, especially at fullback. I don't know whether Joe Bryan's going to be fit or not for this one. I know he, he had a hamstring. I saw him go problem. off. Yeah, it looked yeah. quite bad. If it's a doy at left back, then I think what they'll do is they'll just sit the back four there and and with Arter, and then the front five let them have it. And what you see with Fulham is Kearney and Bobby Reid playing in this deeper role, playing behind, effectively, a front three. It's a five-and-five five formation. And it's fascinating because I think both sets of fives can can, can upset the other. It's, it's going to be a really, really interesting game. Fulham at home have the best record of anyone in the Championship, which is amazing because they've had, had some really bad performances there, haven't they? Five defeats. Some of them have been ugly defeats. They've been lucky. They've been winning matches that they might have drawn. And, and that's made the big difference for, for Fulham over the course of this season. Yeah, there's really not much in this game. I would, I would actually lean towards the Bs here. I think, I think that they've got, you know, that they, I, I'm not sure about those fullbacks that, that Sam was referencing there, Adoy or Christie. Not sure about them up against Umbrano and Ben Rama. 
All right, well, those two sides looking good to make it to the playoffs, but there are a lot of teams hunting down what will probably be the final playoff spot, including Cardiff and their old boss and Sam's new mate, Neil Warnock, said this on the EFL on Quest. Well, I've said right from the start, I think they can get in playoffs, and people thought they were cuckoo land. I think what he means is I was in cloud cuckoo <laughs> land, but we'll give him the uh, the partial credit. <laughs> Don't have a go at my pal. <laughs> uh, Cardiff, Millwall or even Derby to get in the playoffs. Um, what do you reckon, Sam? Any of those three going to make the Ooh. the traditional late bid? Well, I'm going to stick with Bristol City. Um, I did that in a little bit of a West Country uh, <laughs> accent, didn't I? Uh, just because they've shown powers of recovery, have they? Whatever, a couple of better results after two really bad defeats. So I'm going to stick with them. Mm. Naki Wells probably been the main reason, but out of the teams you've just mentioned, I would have to agree with uh, producer Abby with Millwall. Mm. I think uh, a good run in. Again, the, the form has been a little bit inconsistent of late, but in the main under Gary Rowett, been much improved and the victory over Forrest again showed brilliant tactical awareness mm. from him. I think uh, completely confusing the opposition and probably the management in the ways that he set up Matt Smith leading the line and that mobility of Bennett and and Wallace taking um, real advantage of Cash and Lolly on that right-hand side. So showed himself to be a, a really good tactician once again. And I think when you consider the games that they've got remaining, I would take me all over there, mm-hmm. too. Well, I've, I've totted them up. I've, I've looked at all the fixtures. He's done a, yeah. he's done a Sam Parkin. I've done a Sam. Yeah, exactly. I did. I, I thought you might have done the same. Um, lot to like about Millwall, but I have them just missing out. I have them missing out. With who taking um, six? I've, I've Bristol City way down. I'm not, I'm not predicting too much from them. Um, I've got I've got my tip, which was more of a hunch really a few weeks back, but I'm sticking with it. Swansea. I think the Millwall have got a great run in. Haven't got to play any of the top ten. But Swansea's looks pretty favourable as well. And the Swans have been really unlucky lately. They've been the results have not matched performances. They've been the equal, if not better, of, of teams above them in the table in terms of their performance levels. So I think they're close to to going on a good winning run here. So I've got them picking up 18 points from the last nine games, which just edges it um, ahead of Millwall by a point. OK, so basically you've manipulated the statistics to suit your original argument. That's, uh, of course. That's good work. Uh, we'll find out come May or maybe June or maybe July. Uh, we have had a couple of tweets asking, when are the Derby and Sheffield Wednesday punishments coming and what will happen uh, to both as a consequence? Honestly, we don't know the answer, but the Athletic are reporting that the EFL's new leadership is desperate to resolve the case well before the end of this season. So any punishment is applied in this campaign and not held over until 2020-21 the case hearing hasn't started yet as Wednesday keep delaying it so that's likely to plough on to the odds then and he has passed the Alan Brazil fitness test Joe are you having a nice time? I am a great first day's uh, racing I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the week although I don't know how much longer my uh, my liver will be able to hold out it's always a real treat isn't it joe going to going to cheltenham and it's an opportunity isn't it for you bookmakers to to wine and dine and, and treat those closest to you um, and on that subject we didn't get the invite did we my friend totally to, you know, no one from the totally football league show has been invited by william hill or yourself this week i, I can't be honest i'm fuming 
<laughs> well, after my uh, after my attempts to lure you all to the dark set failed, I, I thought you might have much better things to do with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> One strike and you're out, is it? All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I, I have to admit, I'm in with the... Uh, the general population uh, this year. There's only so many people that uh, can enjoy the, the hospitality of William Hill, and I'm sadly not one of those. It's As we record, it's 12.03 in the afternoon. How many drinks have you had? I've had none. I've had a cup of coffee. Wow, actually. amazing. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to why we're really here. Odds on football matches. Uh, and we'll start with something that's not a football match, actually. Abby's been pushing this Millwall to make the playoffs agenda throughout the show. What odds would you give her on that happening? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're certainly in with a chance. They're, they're odds against uh, to make it into the playoffs, obviously sitting just outside the top six at the moment. Uh, they're nine to four to finish in the top six, which puts them behind Brentford at one to 12, Forest two to seven, Preston six to four. How about Cardiff? Well, when I got this through, I knew that it would be you presenting the show this week uh, <laughs> because you, as Abby's pushing the Millwall agenda, Matt, you're you're pushing the Cardiff agenda, and Cardiff aren't far behind in the betting either. They're five to one, which puts just Bristol City at four to one between them and Millwall in the betting. Uh, the other thing we've been talking about is this big game between Hull and Charlton. Uh, what's the latest with it with the relegation odds for for both of those two sides? All right, well, obviously the, the, the bottom three sides are now, sadly, the, the, the three sides that came up last season. And uh, Hull look like they may well just escape on, uh, on merit of uh, the other three being just quite poor at the moment. Uh, Hull are 2-1 to one for relegation, although that price has collapsed considerably since, uh, since the January transfer window closed. Uh, but the bottom three are looking most likely to be the three that go down. Luton are 1-7, to seven, Barnsley 1-6 to six, and Charlton 4-5. to five. OK, that's the Championship Chatted. Let's do something similar with regards to League One, but not before an advert, a sound effect or a voiceover telling you what you're listening to. Get great offers every day with William Hill. Join today and get £30 in free bets when you bet £10 using the promo code C30. Whether you like great prices, free bets or in-play scoreboards, William Hill has you covered. William Hill is who you play with. Promo code C30. New online customers only. Minimum £10 stake. Win only. Minimum odds 1 to 2. Free bets paid as free £10 bets. 30-day expiry. Free bet payment method player and country restrictions apply. League One headlines. Tuesday night saw some key games as Sunderland lost to Bristol Rovers. That's Bristol Rovers who lost to South End at the weekend. Uh, Pompey and Fleetwood played out a compelling Archbishop Desmond at Fratton Park, as did Burton and Bolton at the Pirelli. The other results saw Tranmere beat Blackpool to boost their survival hopes. That means at the top, there are only three points between second place Rotherham and Wickham in eighth, whilst Tranmere are now just three points from safety. Elsewhere, Southend have been charged with misconduct by the EFL for failing to pay their players on time. The Shrimpers also face another charge for fielding an ineligible player in their win over Lincoln last month. At least they won at the weekend, though. A quick look at Tuesday's action then. Bristol Rovers needed that, as did their manager Ben Garner. Just a second win in 19 games in all comps for the gas against the Sunderland side who are wobbling again. No wins in four outside the playoffs. And no players put up for interview after the game on Tuesday either. Riot act being read, it seems like. Sam, are they, are they falling apart again? Um, I wouldn't go that far, but... When you see some of the Sunderland supporters talking about the worst performance in 50 years, <laughs> you kind of have to sit up and take notice. Uh, 
I want to be kind of measured about it because we've slaughtered Phil Parkinson, then we've backed oh, him. Speak for yourself. Then we've <laughs> slaughtered him. You need to wait until, you know, the the playoff positions are, are finalised and if they haven't made it, then he should come in for some flack. But last night, really poor. But they've been crying out for some changes. Mm. They've got the squad now. He put Scoen in last night and, and Semenyo and it sounded like they just bypassed going, went really long into Lafferty. He was booked, dragged at half-time, back to Charlie White, which hasn't been working. Semenyo didn't impact the game. They doubled up really well on him. So it sounded like an ever-so-limp performance, and it looks even worse when you're up against the Bristol Rovers team who had won once in 17 uh, previous games. Uh, that's the, you know just their second win under the new manager. So you can understand the disappointment, but it just feels at the moment with with Sunderland that you know he can't do any right. Phil Parkinson and that you know people are always going to want different players playing or a different system. Um, maybe it's going to take a little bit longer. He probably won't have the luxury. He'll probably lose his job if they don't make it this season. And, and last night it looked to me that it was about. Johnson Clark Harris, who's not been in particularly good form, uh, gets himself two goals and dominated the three centre halves. Really did. Um, well aided by two young lads, Cameron Hargreaves and Jaden Mitchell Lawson. And maybe a turning point for Bristol Rovers, but to be honest, I don't really know what Bristol Rovers are quite yet. Mm, uh, so Sunderland drop out of the playoff places, replaced Clarky by Fleetwood. Mm. Uh, Joey will be pleased about that. Uh, have they got the staying power? We've been tipping them on the QT for a couple of weeks. Th- yeah, look, I think they're, they're dark horses, aren't they? They're sort of sneaking under the radar, Fleetwood. They've... Dark horses with a loud jockey. Yeah, very loud jockey. But but they've got a very good record against the, the division's big boys, which bodes well for, for potential playoff games. And and by all accounts, they they were the better side against Portsmouth at, at Fratton Park. Own goal from the impressive defender, Harry Souter. But he levelled that up with a, with a goal himself at the, at the right end of the pitch, and yet I don't think Pompey had a, had a good performance here. They were struggling to create, and uh, yeah, Fleet Fleetwood, I think I think are in with a good chance. Ched Evans came in for Paddy Madden, which is a big call because Paddy Madden has scored scored so many goals. And Barry Mackay, it is good to see him shining again because it didn't really happen for him down at Swansea, did it? And I, I felt like he didn't really fit. He didn't have a place in that team other players that play in his position were outshining Barry Mackay and I felt like he lost confidence at Fleetwood he's one of the big fish in a smaller pond he scored and played well again by all accounts so yeah no I think right Fleetwood off at your peril how about Tranmere Sam where's this come from three away wins on the spin uh, they're giving themselves a real chance of staying up. It's probably doing them a right favour being away from their pitch, isn't it? Yeah. If we were... Nigel Adderley, I have to credit with this, first three away wins on the spin since October 2012. So giving themselves a, a brilliant chance and got real favourable fixtures. Yeah, They've got Lincoln, Rochdale, Wimbledon, MK Dons, the next four. And it sounds like defensively, Clark and, and Ellis at the weekend at Accrington Stanley were... Brilliant defensively. They had Manny Mont back in alongside them last night as well. So they seem to be better defensively. Ferry is, uh, I think, a really good player on his day. He just doesn't do it consistently enough. But having him amongst the goals last night alongside James Vaughan, mm. you look at the other teams that I've just mentioned in the relegation battle, you back Tranmere to score more goals and cause more problems going the other way. more power now, haven't they? Definitely. Think, yeah. So if I was Wimbledon, I will oh, be yeah. a little bit afraid today. And I think the Tranmere lads, considering the run they're now on, rubbing their hands together. Yeah, big momentum. I, th- I think they overpowered a, a Blackpool team that 
obviously being coached by a new manager that's got quite a strong ideology and looked to me as if they were overpowered a little bit at times in the game. Look, I was looking at the Blackpool midfield. It's really talent, talented and really technical and really young. I think you've got uh, Virtue in there, who's a good player. Connor Ronan, who's a good player on loan from Wolves. Dewsbury Hall, who scored a, a worldie. He's on loan from Leicester. Not much sort of experience or nous in, in that engine room. And, uh, yeah, that's that's something, that's an issue for them, I think, moving forward. I I personally would consider bringing in Jay Spearing back into the starting eleven with two of those three. But we'll, we'll see what happens over the coming weeks. But, yeah, Tranmere... They are chasing down the Dons big time. All right. Well, while we're talking about Wimbledon, let's have a look ahead to their game at the weekend. It'll be at the Keepmoat Stadium where they face Doncaster Rovers. Uh, They're looking to pick up some points in their bid to beat the drop. Not going to be easy against Moore's men, though. Donny's still with playoff ambitions following wins against Wickham and MK. You've been looking at Wimbledon Clarky, that's who we've been talking about. So we'll start with them. Them first, well, not looking great. No, no, not looking great. I mean, only one defeat in six. So they're they're drawing games. <sighs> Wimbledon are solid. I think they're set up really to to be okay on the road. But the problem is that they're not really. I mean, they average two goals against per match away from home, which is, you know, it's asking a lot to pick up points if you're conceding to a game. They've had no clean sheets away from home either in the entire season, which is crazy when you consider the last three home games, they've drawn nil-nil. So so it's quite quite a strange dynamic. I just feel that um, they should play a bit more football. They're playing the percentage game, they're very solid. But, but when you've got the three at the back and two wing-backs, I always think three at the back works best if you if you make the pitch feel big and 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 play a bit of football get those wing backs flying high up the pitch delivering crosses for fun but it's more of a five for Wimbledon and and that puts them under a lot of pressure I, I'm struggling to see any reason other than the fact that they've they've you know been solid-ish of late particularly the game against Gillingham finding it hard to find reasons why Wimbledon will cause an upset at Doncaster Mm, totally different end to the season for Doncaster Sam Uh, Darren Moore not keen on talk of a playoff push at the moment but they've been in great form what what, what are they doing right at the moment I think they've got really good attacking players uh, good options there Uh, this weekend Okunabiri returns from suspension he's got two in five I think since he's been at the club Devontae Cole's been playing well but not scoring got Ennis as well on loan from Wolves he's been playing wide and then you've got the elder statesmen your Coppingers uh, Sadliers Taylor John Taylor who came on to make the goal at the weekend so I think it's going to be interesting to see which way Darren Moore goes I think now that this is the nitty gritty the next two games I think if they can beat Wimbledon and get something at Portsmouth there's an outside chance of a playoff push, an outside chance. So I think maybe experience will prevail in terms of his team selection, looking at looking ahead to this uh, couple of games. But I don't know about you, Adrian, I just can't see that top seven capitulating uh, in the weeks ahead. I know Sunderland are having a bit of a difficult time and, and Portsmouth's performance last night was indifferent, but the power and the squads that these teams have got, I don't see Doncaster making up that five no, points. I think they're sure, I agree. I, I actually feel that, that Darren Moore should probably get some credit here because it, it's a new team, not not entirely a new team, but they lost a lot of their better players last summer and I think he's done okay to keep them in there. And, and, and I do like the style of football. They, they knock it around, quite an expansive 
4231. It'll be a clash of styles, this one. Personally, I think that Donny will, Donny's uh, superior movement and quality on the ball might be a bit too much for the Dons. Well, one team you definitely are in the promotion race are Oxford. They host MK Dons at the weekend. Oxford flying after five wins on the spin. It's moved them to within touching distance of the automatic promotion places. So maybe cup runs aren't such a bad thing after all. Clarky, Matty Taylor banging in the goals. Six of them in his last five outings, to be precise. Who else has caught the eye for them? Oh, um, well, lots of players have caught the eye. I think it'd be a great game, first, first and foremost, MK Dons. Like to like to go out and play these days under the under their new manager. So I think it'll be a bit of a bit of a shootout. Um, five straight wins for for Oxford tells his own story. It's interesting to see if, if a few new names come into the fore. Daniel Aguiar came on and and made a real difference at Shrewsbury. He's got a cracking goal. I don't really saw it. Pinged it right into the top corner. Brannigan, who Sam's been waxing lyrical about for, for months now. He produced a, a fantastic crossfield pass uh, assist for for Marcus Brown. I think Marcus Brown is, is probably the one I'd, I'd I'd bring up in terms of he's made the difference since since the the two boys left for Brentford. He's really stepped in and 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 made the difference. So yeah, it's, they've got a nice blend, Oxford. I have to say, you've got you've got Brown in there. You've got Brannigan, the the, the passer. And then you've also got uh, Alex Rodriguez, who we, we've barely mentioned this season. He's a really tenacious player, quite feisty, win, wins a lot, wins the ball back for them. So they've got a nice blend and uh, they are really in the mix, I think, for, well, they should make the playoffs now. I don't think, I don't think they're quite, quite got enough for, for automatic. But look, if, if Rotherham continue to stumble, you never know. As for Carl Robinson's old club MK Don Sam, no wins in three, but seemingly far enough away from trouble for relegation to be a, a genuine concern. Jonathan Harries has tweeted us at the Totally Show asking, "What have you made of how Russell Martin has done at MK so far?" Well, it's a very different style that Adrian just touched on, and I don't know Russell Martin personally, but I do know Luke Williams, his assistant, who was the manager of Swindon and has got a very clear identity with how he wants things done and I'm seeing this mirrored at MK Dons they're playing out from the back it's very very heavy possession based and it will take time and at the moment there's a little bit of a lack of intensity to it but that will come with repetition and better players that I'm sure they'll get in at the club so I think the fans seem to be on board with it although defensively they can get themselves into trouble and give the ball away. But I saw that at Swindon in a, you know, a much better side than this and eventually they made it to a playoff final. So they just need a little bit of, of patience. He's been pretty set in the system. It's a diamond or he plays 4-1-4-1. Two good attacking midfield players. Louis Thompson, who was at Swindon, went to Norwich. He's fit now and he's been fit, I think, for the last eight, nine games, which is a plus for him because he's been really hindered by injuries and David Kasumo, another young player looks very bright travelling with the ball so I like those two and I agree with Adrian it'll be a brilliant game because of the reasons I've just described uh, in the MK Don setup, and also Oxford I'm a big fan of theirs and um, Dean Thornton's the goalkeeping coach ex-Swindon as well and when I spoke I think it was on Quest a few weeks ago and said that Coventry and Oxford are the best two teams in the division he said mate what about MK Don? Do you need to watch us? <laughs> so I think they're playing things the right way. And I would suggest next season yeah, yeah. will be a lot stronger. 
Let's get back to Cheltenham where Joe Crilly is with us. Joe, Coventry aside, there's a frog's hair between the top eight in League One. Who've William Hill got down as favourites behind the Sky Blues to be playing champ ball next season? Uh, well, Rotherham are odds-on to get promoted. They're four to five. And then it's so incredibly close in the promotion betting. Peterborough and Portsmouth are both six to four for promotion. Oxford just behind at seven to four. Sunderland nine to four. So it honestly really could be anyone. I mean, even even the teams like Fleetwood at seven to two, it wouldn't be surprising given how well they've played, albeit uh, they've tailed off a little bit. Wickham at ten to one. Uh, it, it it really is going to be an exciting end to the season in League One, certainly at the top anyway. Uh, and as for the games that we've spoken about coming up this weekend, what will you give me on a, on a pair of home wins for Oxford and Doncaster? Well, you won't be surprised to hear that both sides are odds on to get the victory at home. One to two for Doncaster, Oxford three to four. And the double isn't going to make you rich, I'm afraid. If you're uh, if you're backing both teams to win, uh, you've got about a one and a half to one shot. Good stuff, Joseph. Right then, we're approaching stoppage time, but you know we've got mad love for League Two, so we'll be paying it, it slash them slash they a visit for with. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League Two headlines. More Macclesfield misery as the Siltman are charged with failing to pay their players on time. Mark Bonner's been appointed Cambridge manager on a permanent basis following a successful spell as caretaker boss. Fortunately, there's absolutely no precedent for things going south quicker than a hiccup when other clubs have done this. At the top, crew are now league leaders with Swindon and Plymouth taking the other automatic slots. And on Tuesday, Newport lost 2-0 to Carlisle. Chris's Beach Boys really feeling the good vibrations. For those not in the know, Carlisle trying to bring the feel-good factor to the club with a good vibrations campaign. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. There you go. Uh, at the weekend, Morecambe are going to take on Plymouth. We're going to have a look ahead to that because it's top v bottom in terms of end of the country and bottom v top in terms of table. Uh, just the 660-mile round trip for the Plymouth supporters. Coaches taking them to Lancashire will leave at 5.30 in the a.m. on Saturday. Morecambe just a place and two points above the relegation zone after winning just three times in 2020. Clarkie, it's a, a difficult job, no doubt, as he prepares to face his old club. But but is it just me that thought Derek Adams might have had a bit more of an impact at the Globe Arena? Uh, I think you're being a bit harsh there, Matt, I've got to say. I, th- I think he's doing all right. With We know about the limited resources. He brought in uh, a number of players in, in January and they're all in the team and they're all doing OK. Slu, Diagaraga, Mufumbi, the keeper... Adam Phillips, who's who's been terrific on loan from Burnley, will miss this game, unfortunately. He's, he's scored goals from midfield. So I think his recruitment was really smart. And they're playing a bit more football. Um, so, so slightly better to watch. And at home, they're not easy to play against. The Globe Arena, it's not the most intimidating stadium in the world. They haven't lost there since Boxing Day. Not bad for a team that's, that's at the bottom end of the table. I, I think right now, even though it's kind of top, kind of bottom... Morecambe are more of a mid-table team, in my mind, in terms of the form book. So, look, they've got a chance here, especially in the distance. Might play a part. I mean, Plymouth, I'm sure they'll go up the, the day before, but it is a hell of a trek for them. And 
not the most exciting fixture in terms of it being a huge crowd or anything. It might be a bit a little bit dead there compared to what they're used to. So so they've got to tread carefully here, Plymouth. Uh, Morecambe have, are playing okay. Wild, Aaron Wildig, the central midfielder, scored three in his last five. So, so he's a player to look out for. But it's all about the start, really, with Morecambe. When they score first, they're okay, but they concede the first goal almost all the time. 70% of matches, Morecambe concede the first goal. That's that's the worst record of anyone in League Two, and, and they don't have a great comeback record either. So um, so if Plymouth score first, lump on them. So Globe Arena, not the most intimidating stadium in the world, but probably the only one named after the world. Um, <laughs> Sam, you've been boning up on Plymouth. They start the weekend. Hang on, what's, right, I said bon- boning. what's boning up me? But you never heard boning up before. I haven't, no, I've had it. In- I like it. Different sense. Yeah, I'm sure you have. <laughs> but boning up means to study. Abby, I'm not making this up, am I? Boning up is a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, you've been boning up on Plymouth, Sam, ahead Certainly of the have. game. Uh, they start the weekend in the automatic promotion places. Do you think they're going to end the season there? Well, I went for Exeter a few weeks ago, so I can't do an Adrian, can I, and just start <laughs> changing my predictions. Um, well, this is a big game for Plymouth because with a Devon derby on the horizon and just three points separating the aforementioned teams, they need to get something here, and they've been a little bit stuttery. Is that a word? Uh, no, boning is stuttery, isn't it? They have been, been stuttering. They've been stuttering yeah. and boning um, <laughs> in the last few weeks away from home. So, yeah, it be interesting to see how they go. Um, I think we've spoken about Plymouth's maybe lack of an obvious goal scorer throughout the season. Jeff Cott's obviously come back and done really well, but Ryan Hardy appears to be that man. He's got seven in 13, and now he's scoring goals when he's picked from the starter games. He's had that super sub tag that we spoke of a few weeks ago but scored in the last two let's not get carried away about them beating Grimsby and Macclesfield uh, convincingly at home so a better test this weekend but the balance of the midfield in particular looks great and just really pleased to see Danny Mayer you know really showcasing his talents in the last couple of games we we thought he'd be the best player every week in this division considering how good he was for Barry under Ryan Lowe not really happened but exceptional in that victory over Macclesfield, linking with George Cooper, who got two goals and an assist. So having got that balance right there, having the options in attack, I'm a little bit concerned about my prediction with the Grecians. Mm. One last trip to Cheltenham then for us and Joe Crilly. Joe, uh, League Two-wise, what what odds have you got around the the top seven and who's going to finish in those places? Well, again, like in uh, in in League One, it it could be a, one of a number of teams or a couple of a number of teams. Certainly, the the teams towards the top uh, look nailed on with Exeter, Cheltenham, both one to a hundred to finish in the top seven. But then the race gets very interesting behind uh, Colchester four to eleven, Northampton four to six, Port Vale six to five, Bradford potentially in with a shout at four to one as well. Uh, and if we're we're talking about the which side's going to get promoted, uh, that's when uh, it, it looks a little bleaker for those teams that I've just mentioned with uh, Swindon, Crewe, Plymouth and Exeter all odds on to go up to League One next season. Good stuff, Joe. Drink responsibly. I always do. Thank you very much. All right. Well, before we leave you, it's time for the never tedious what are the chaps up to this weekend section. Sam, where in the wide world of sport will you be? I am going to Fulham Brentford and then it's my birthday. So I'm going to enjoy the weekend with friends and family. 
Lovely. Uh, nothing more specific than that. Roast on Sunday, a couple of beers Saturday Yeah, I've night. got a job Saturday evening. So, um, no, just probably go for breakfast and maybe spend some money on some clothes that I don't need on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and then Sunday, meeting up with um, my family and uh, my partner's family. Okay, just Looking make, forward to it. make sure you get some clothes that can cover a six stain easily because that's about to become a big part of your life. There'll be no more white T-shirts for you for the Indeed. next uh, year or so. Uh, Clarky, where, where will you be? Yeah, I'm going to be at the Hawthorns, actually. Yeah, 12.30 kick-off Saturday. West Brom against Birmingham. Huge game, isn't it? I'm with Sam. I still think West Brom have got enough of an advantage, but if they, yeah, they definitely started to wobble. Um, Birmingham capable of causing an upset so it should be should be interesting uh, no football for me this weekend I'm off to my sister's wedding it's sure to be the match of the day <laughs> don't worry Caroline's back next week join her and the boys then but from all of us here it's bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football League show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, I'm Andrew Slavin, host of The Totally Scottish Football Show and if you like football, you're going to love Scottish football. It's not all just Stevie G and Scott Brown up here, no because we talk about all of the Scottish football and geez oh it's great there's actually a title race this year in the Premiership Stevie G will be hoping not to slip up again Hearts are tearing each other a new one Motherwell are doing well well they're doing well so if you like your football to be competitive have a title race and a ton of drama off and on the pitch the Totally Scottish Football Show is most definitely for you Grab Scottish football by the boys, just like Ryan Christie did, and listen to the Totally Scottish Football Show, available everywhere, even in England. Muddy Knees Media.